This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, and thanks for being with me for another installment of the Danny Mac Podcast, courtesy of Bet Rivers. Glad you're here. These podcasts can be found in the typical places, and you already have, have discovered that. So please share the information with a friend if you know any Mac heads out there. This is the uh, third installment, and uh, in number two, I promised to look ahead to some other NFL teams. It was almost all Bears start to finish in advance of their preseason scrimmage against the Chiefs at Soldier Field this past weekend. But said I was going to get on to some other teams that interested me very much. But as so often has been the case over the years, the follies, the foibles, of the Lake Forest McCaskians, the Chicago Bears have given me cause to put that on hold a little bit, at least until the back end of today's podcast, because the Bears dominated the headlines over the weekend. And it had nothing to do with the performance of Matt Eberflus's crew. Matt Eberflus, that's going to be tough to get used to. Eberflusian ways. Uh, but uh, we'll get to the Soldier Field turf in just a moment. I want to say thank you to um, those of you and uh, more than just a couple who have reached out to me via social media to welcome me back to your SUV, to your headphones, on your commute. And uh, for a lot of you, I recognize it has been almost two years since you last heard my voice. Uh, it's 23 months now to the day as I record this. When the score fired me for a tweet about ESPN sideline reporter at the time, Maria Taylor was on the sideline for ESPN on Monday Night Football, and a lot of you haven't heard me since then, and you want to know, hey, man, I'm happy to hear your NFL thoughts, but how are you? What's going on with your son, Patrick? Have you caught any muskies this summer? And I appreciate that there are people out there who would take that level of interest in me, that you've invested in me as a radio personality over the years. And I will get to that. I I will get to that. I think let's, let's put it down in the calendar for week zero, that dead week between the end of preseason games and week one of the NFL season, Thursday, the 8th of September, the bears kicking off the season on Sunday, nine 11 at soldier field against the 49ers. I'll get you uh, updated on what my last two years have been like Uh, And again, welcome back to those of you who have not found me on WJOB, my hometown radio station. I've been doing a show there almost a year now on Fridays, just a couple of hours. It is a perfect outlet for a guy who still loves talking about the greatest game ever invented. And that, of course, is football. We initially thought it was just going to be a 26-week proposition. And um, 
it turned into a little bit more of that, thanks to the sponsorship of Bet Rivers, thanks to their support and the support of Bridges Scoreboard Restaurant and Sports Bar in Griffith, Indiana, where I met my wife, Sherry, uh, 17 years ago, 18 years ago. So it's gone well, but I, I know not all of you have consumed that. It is available to you. You don't have to live in northwest Indiana. It's available on the TuneIn app. So those of you in the western suburbs, you know, install that app on your phone. It's very easy. Hell, I did it years ago and enjoyed the hell out of listening yes to Dan Bernstein and Connor McKnight when we did our first scorehouse in Arizona. Uh, Parkins, of course, buried knee deep in Cubs at uh, their new stadium. Not so new anymore, but uh, their new practice facility in Mesa. I, I had the morning's to recover from cooking breakfast for the crew. So uh, as I drove to Mesa from Scottsdale, I would listen to our midday show on the TuneIn app. It's very easy. Jesus, I figured it out. So you can too. All right, here's the rub with the Bears. Heading into preseason dates against Seattle and the closer against Cleveland So many years, typically, the fantasy football draft happens to be on a Bears-Browns night. That's not the case with my one and only league. I've always been monogamous when it comes to fantasy football. But uh, they're getting it done a little bit earlier than typical now that we're in a three-preseason game schedule in the NFL. In case you left the planet, Saturday at Soldier Field, the turf was unplayable. But the Bears and Chiefs played anyway. This is one of the most long-standing complaints Bears fans and Bears players and some Bears head coaches have had over the last 30 years. The Bears moved from Wrigley Field to Soldier Field in 1971, and for the longest time, Billy Joel Uh, They still had the artificial surface known as AstroTurf, which was absolute garbage. Uh, I played on it once uh, at the University of Illinois, and it's every bit as bad as players said it was. So in 88, finally uh, finally the Bears went to a grass turf, grass field at Soldier Field. And since then, it has been year after year, some years chronically bad, some years not always a part of the narrative, but it doesn't go away. It's a disease that needs constant maintenance, much like alcoholism. It's the Bears and Soldier Field turf issues. Uh, I hate to think of what would happen to the quarterback, Justin Fields, as you're getting him ready for year two if he would have twisted a knee. Uh, Bad enough, he he had his ankles stepped on by rookie left tackle Braxton Jones. Not Jones's fault. He was hanging tough, getting pushed back a little bit. Fields kind of stepped up in the pocket to his left, and Jones stepped on him. That happens. But you don't want to see Fields or anybody else get hurt because the turf is unplayable, and it has been that way forever. Elton John played Soldier Field recently. The Bears had their annual family night this past week, and kicker Cairo Santos said it wasn't as bad so much then, but you saw bad things coming, and he said it was absolutely terrible. I I did a search on Soldier Field grass. 
to get ready for this podcast. And I found an interesting story in which Robbie Gold, the former Bears place kicker, the best place kicker the Bears have ever had, tip of the cap to Kevin Butler. He and I were both rookies in 85. I was in the broadcast crew uh, as a young producer. He's kicking for the soon-to-be crown world champion Bears. But he was terrific too. But Robbie Gold's the best the team has ever had. And he said, when is somebody in the organization going to hear this? I'm paraphrasing. That column, story rather, was dated 2013. And I used Twitter today to start a fan poll. And I asked for what should the Bears organization be the most embarrassed by over the last 30 years. And this extends just a tick just a little bit before Ted Phillips became empowered. And don't think for a second he isn't, even though they not long ago told you he was going to be pushed a little bit more back to the business side. He still has his fingerprints on everything. Don't get confused about that, about job titles. Ted's still omnipresent. And I put four suggestions up there. I didn't offer an other category, and I'll I'll address one of the comments section in a second on on a lot of the votes for other, but I put Soldier Field as a nominee. I put clumsy or bad head coach general manager hires, and that covers a vast array of, of boners by the Bears organization going back to finding a successor to Dave Wanstead when they botched the Dave McGinnis hire. They have a news conference scheduled to present him, and he doesn't show because he was so pissed at the organization for leaking the information nationally. He hadn't had a chance to talk to his head coach, Vince Tobin. His mom's calling him, wanting to know why she's seeing on ESPN that he's the new head coach of the Bears. And the Bears also asked him to lie to his incoming assistant coaches, to his staff, about how much of the contract is going to be guaranteed. Uh, so that's how, and then there's Bruce Arians years later, who doesn't want to participate in the garbage that the bears wanted him to, and have a news conference to see how he handles questions. And if it weren't for that, we never would have had Russ Grimm, the former member of the Washington Redskins hogs, their offensive line years ago in a real bad sweater, thanking the McClaskey family for inviting him to interview for the job. That was a gem that's frozen in time, or at least frozen in so many of our memories. But Soldier Field, to me, oh, the other two nominees for most embarrassing, draft history. And to me, that's all-encompassing. That includes quarterback play. That includes every swing and miss over the last 30 years. The Cade McNowns of the world, a first-round draft choice who never worked out. The trade for Jay Cutler, not part of draft history. That would fall in GM category. But uh, the quarterback position, obviously. You've seen the list of names. Every time the Bears line up against Green Bay since Favre slash Rodgers, here are the guys the Bears have trotted out, and you see Henry Burris's name and Shane Matthews, who was the all-time leading passer in the SEC uh, at Florida when he when he finished there, and a really good guy, and he wasn't a terrible Bears quarterback. I don't know why that name came to mind, but he was just he was just a guy at the end of the day, like Steve Walsh was. Uh, you know, if Cutler's the best in franchise history, that's a goddamn low bar, isn't it? I and he probably is the best in history, 
and the most unlikable, but that's not part of this conversation. And the last item, I just alluded to it, was the Bears' record versus the Packers over the last 30 years. Want to know what it is? Do you know? 60 regular season meetings between these two long-storied franchises. Green Bay has won 45 of the last 60. I'll get into these numbers a lot more in detail in week two when the Bears go to Green Bay to take on Matt LaFleur's Packers. Packers will be double-digit favorites in that one. But speaking of double digits, Green Bay has won so many of these last uh, 30 years of meetings by double digits. In fact, Green Bay has more wins by 10 or more against the Bears in the last 30 years, 17, than the Bears have wins, 15. I'm not one of those who ever would suggest anybody who's saying, I don't care if they go 2-15 and 15 as long as the two are against Green Bay. That's bull. That, you should never think that way. But that's the way a lot of Bears fans have thought for years. And uh, those four were my nominations for the most embarrassing. And as, as I said, I think the Soldier Field dilemma, not just the playing surface, but everything about the mistake on the lake, to me, is an embarrassment to the organization. Hiring a great head coach is hard. Finding a great general manager is hard. They've made some questionable moves there. Sure, they brought in a consulting firm years ago and they found Jerry Angelo. Wasn't terrible, but wasn't a great general manager. And they they commissioned Bill Polian to make a nomination this past time when he says, hey, Ryan Poles is your guy. And Ryan Poles had never been a GM and maybe he'll be a great one. But early signs are not impressive. Very early on in his career, you got to give him at least three years as a general manager before before you can form an educated opinion. Um, Andy Reid told it like it was after his Chiefs lost to the Bears, nineteen to fourteen. Of course, the Bears with a big goose egg in the first half. Never seen them go to the locker room. Never seen them trot off into the northwest corner of Soldier Field before with a zero on the scoreboard. Next to their name, Reed said it was better than my high school field, but not by much. Eberflus lied. Reed told the truth, truth, as Robbie Gold did years back. And the truth is evidenced anytime you watch the game. It's a terrible playing field. And everybody is subjected to injury playing on nonsense like that. Did you see the tweet from the president of the Players Association? NFLPA J.C. Treader said this Saturday, and it included a picture of chunks of turf falling apart, just holes in the soldier field grass. The NFL said this field met minimum testing standards. We clearly need to reevaluate what is an acceptable surface for players to compete on. We need new testing metrics, looking at the performance and safety of every field. The NFL can and should do better, said the NFLPA president, J.C. Tretter. And, uh, boy, I don't know about metrics. Uh, Wins against replacement turf? How does that work? I'm not sure exactly. You know, the Bears went on the cheap. I don't know how many years ago it's been. 
at, at least 10. I think when I interviewed White Sox groundskeeper Roger Bossard, the sod father, it was on the Mac Yurko and Harry show. If that was the case, it's more than 10 years ago. That show last was together in January of 2009. It might have been the show I did with Matt Spiegel from the spring of 09 to the uh, spring, early summer of 14. But Roger Bossard admitted to me he had a conversation with the Bears and the Park District about being consulted to fix their problem. And the Bears didn't want to ante up. They didn't want to pay the best in the business. The Cubs freaking did when they decided to host the Winter Classic a while back. They said, we got to bring in the best people in the world. They brought in the hockey rink answer to Roger Bossard, uh, who is the George Toma of baseball stadia. Not stadiums, stadia. Yes, I was at Ball State the day they taught plurals. Um, that turf has been a disaster for so long. And that's just one of a handful of issues about Soldier Field that f- just, I, I, I think, makes it by far the most embarrassing. When they redid the facility in Zero Two, let's look at that and the mistakes made in that $660 million Soldier Field renovation in Zero Two. By the way, the team is moved that year to Champaign to play at the University of Illinois on the heels of a 13-3 and season. You know, at that time, Central Division champs. They go 4-12, and and every player on the team said it was like playing 16 road games. The accommodations at the University of Illinois, not exactly up to standards. Uh, players, coaches, organizations, are, uh, and even broadcasters. Al Michaels said when he did a Monday nighter in Champaign, I think it was Bears-Packers. I think Robert Brooks had a long touchdown reception in that game from Brett Favre early, something like 96 yards or some crazy thing like that. Al Michaels says not only do they not have a four seasons, they don't even have a two seasons in this town. When they built, when they rebuilt Soldier Field, they did away with 5,000 seats. They made their stadium the smallest in the NFL, and it remains such at 61,500 capacity. That's the smallest stadium in the league. There are several others that have right around 65K only, the Cardinals, the Bengals, the Bucks, the Lions, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Raiders in their brand new stadium. The Raiders spent $2 billion, and this is recently, to build Allegiant Stadium, a fantastic venue for Josh McDaniels and the Silver and Black. They really built a gorgeous facility for $2 million. The Bears spent close to three-quarter of a million dollars 19 years ago to fix their old building built in 1924. And what they do is take away the seating. They decide not to use a retractable roof, which is just unconscionable in a city like Chicago. If you're not going to make it an indoor facility to preserve the so-called myth 
it's what it is, of bare weather, uh, of tough Midwestern football, three yards. If that's important to you, at least put a retractable roof on top. Minneapolis built a dome. They've hosted a second Super Bowl. The Metrodome hosted one in January of 92. Redskins over the Bills. Um, It hosted another one in recent years. Vikings had a real good shot of playing in that game, if you remember, following the Minneapolis Miracle, and they drew first blood against the Eagles in the NFC title game. But the Eagles and Nick Foles wound up stepping on the gas and putting Minnesota in the rearview mirror so they don't get to play in their own building. They host a Super Bowl. The NFL got lucky when the new MetLife, home for the Giants and Jets, hosted a Super Bowl because they missed blizzard conditions by about 16 hours. That game would have been unplayable. The facility would not have been acceptable in terms of people getting in and out and they missed it by just a little bit a lot of people who were there for the game and not having a reservation to get out of town by noon the next day were stuck in New York likely as as airports had a minimal amount of traffic because of a blizzard so MetLife likely not to get another one because they didn't build a retractable either and that's another one of those smallish stadiums by some of the standards, by standards of the Louisiana Superdome. What is it now? The Mercedes-Benz Dome, unless they've changed sponsorship again. Speaking of sponsorships, by the way, man, you need a scorecard for these NFL stadia this year. You know, the Steelers no longer play at Heinz Field. In case you haven't heard, they play at Acrisure Stadium. I don't even know what that product is. Acrisure, A-C-R-I-S-U-R-E Stadium. Not sure where that's going. How many of the NFL stadiums, stadia, can you name? I bet I can get you with with at least three of these four. Where do the Bengals play? You're going to say Paul Brown Stadium. No, you'd be wrong. They play at Paycor Stadium. How about the Seahawks? No, it's not Quest Field. In fact, I think it's been something between Quest Field and what it is today, which is Lumen Field. L-U-M-E-N, Lumen Field. How about the Ravens? The Big Crab Cake. I love that nickname. M&T, M&T, Bank Stadium is where the Ravens play. And I'll get you on number four. I mean, you get you at least three out of these four. Where do the Buffalo Bills play? Bills favorites to win the Super Bowl at 6-1 to one right now. The Bills play at Highmark Stadium. How many of those did you get right? And the Bears don't have a sponsorship on Soldier Field. <laughs> among, among the mistakes made along the way by these Bears. Do you realize the revenue that is pumped into a city? When it hosts a Super Bowl, I've been to these Super Bowl cities for Hype Week. Only stayed for one game. That was in early February of 07 when the Bears lost to the Colts 29-17. We did our show there all week. We arrived on Saturday afternoon, the week before the game. 
and stayed until Monday, the day following the game. So I, I've been to Phoenix a couple of times. I've been to New Orleans three times. Um, Tampa, Jacksonville, um, wherever these Super Bowls get played, I've been there. And the restaurants are full all week. The hotels are full. You best get a reservation a year in advance when a city is hosting a Super Bowl. It's a party. And unlike the Olympics, which cost taxpayers money for decades down the road, while it, you know giving the city a better infrastructure, which Chicago desperately needed a while back and still needs, but the, I understand why people cheered when Chicago was first eliminated eliminated from the Olympics. They didn't want to have the bump in taxes. That that makes sense to me. But uh, it's it's criminal. Our city will never host a Super Bowl. It will never host an act like the Rolling Stones in February. It will never host a Final Four, which again pumps tens of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars into a city's economy. But because the Bears didn't do that 20 years ago, a retractable roof. If they had to go to Arlington Heights 20 years ago, that's where they should have gone. There was discussion in the early 90s about Gary, Indiana as an option. I would have opposed that. But Soldier Field sucks from every aspect. I haven't even gotten to the architecture. They had to preserve the precious columns outside of Soldier Field when they renovated. So what it looks like is a spaceship landed inside that original structure from the the mid-20s with all the modern conveniences and fancy glass and all of your luxury suites and a reasonable jumbotron in the north end zone. It looks awful. It is a scenic blight like no other in the city of Chicago. You know how I feel about Buckingham Fountain. I've never been a big fan. Buckingham Fountain is the Mona Lisa compared to Soldier Field. You can look at it and say, okay, it's nice. No one ever said nice when looking at Soldier Field. Just a disaster from an architectural standpoint. Horrible in a city with great architecture every direction you look. They really don't have any place to funnel traffic in and out of Soldier Field. That big body of water that sits right to the east, that makes it pretty much one way out on game day. You're going north, south, or west. And west is a crawl. If you want to get to the outbound Eisenhower or the outbound Stevenson, it's nightmarish to get past pedestrians who are smart enough to take public transportation. I'm not among those. The public transportation I take has wings. I'm not interested in riding a bus or riding a train. Uh, Part of the thing that makes me, part of the many things that make me a baby boomer, not being a part of that. So you combine the limited number of parking spaces. And I saw in an article this week, the Bears make an estimated half million dollars on game day from parking. Think of what they would make if they had lots comparable to those that envelop Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Good old Dale Mabry 
the major thoroughfare that goes by where the Buccaneers play. And there are parking lots for a mile in every direction, it seems, surrounding the ballpark. Traffic is not an issue in and out of that stadium. It's it's not an issue in a lot of these stadia around. It is for the Bears. It absolutely is for the Bears. Real quickly, um, I want to get to in our next pod, my next podcast, I want to get to what I think are the more interesting stories in the NFL. And I'll just leave you with this on on one of them. That's the Las Vegas Raiders. I can't wait to see what Josh McDaniels does in his second head coaching opportunity. The Denver thing was a disaster. He went 11-17 and and was dismissed before the end of year two. That went horribly. But it went horribly for Bill Belichick when he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns years ago. He tried to be Bill Parcells, and it didn't work. He had to be Bill Belichick. And Josh McDaniels tried to be Bill Belichick when he was headmastering the Broncos. I think he's going to do better this this time around, and I think Derek Carr has found the Messiah with Devontae Adams in a Raiders uniform, I think, that's going to be a, a fascinating watch in a very difficult division. I don't even know who to make the favorite. Is it Kansas City? Uh, do the Chiefs survive with with Tyree Kill, the speedster, now in Miami? Did they fortify their roster around Travis Kelsey from a receiver standpoint? Enough. They lost Byron Pringle to the Bears, who's who's in the hot tub all camp. But uh, the acquisitions of Juju Smith-Schuster, and uh, is, is that enough? Is, is Juju enough? And uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, the other newcomer, you know, are, are they enough to, to get past the Raiders and the Chargers who didn't get to the playoffs last year despite all that talent and possessing one of the great young quarterbacks in the game today in Justin Herbert. I love Justin Herbert. I love Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback. Uh, some some damn good bear, you know, young quarterbacks in this league. I almost said Bears quarterbacks. We know that's not the case. Derek Carr, not among those. Became a believer in Carr last year. He showed me a lot of leadership, showed me a lot of toughness. They couldn't get much going against the Cincinnati defense that was takeable in round one of the playoffs, so they bowed out early. But the acquisition of who I think is the most dynamic wide receiver in the game, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller wasn't healthy last year, played in pain when he returned from an injury. And those of you who had him on your fantasy football roster know it wasn't the typical Darren Waller type season. We'll see if he can get back on tracks. But Devontae Adams makes them a fascinating team. Uh, that AFC West is going to be something, and I can't wait to watch the Raiders go to work. I found out what the best play is real quickly at Bet Rivers. Last thing I want to share with you, and that's the Indianapolis Colts at minus 125 to win the AFC South. Tennessee is the only team in the division capable of threatening that. I don't know how long you're going to be able to ride Ryan Tannehill and and Derrick Henry, if healthy, remains a huge force. But can they overcome the Colts with Matt Ryan now under center? 
Colts far too reliant on the running game. It, it served them well last year with Jonathan Taylor leading the league in rushing. But where did that get them in weeks 17 and 18 when they trailed Las Vegas at Lucas Oil Stadium and when they trailed the Jaguars, for all, of all people, in the final week of the season? That's a win-and-get-in scenario for the Colts, who had to have the longest offseason of every team in the NFL this year. As good as they were to fail to make the dance is absolutely unacceptable, and I think Frank Reich and the Colts are the best play on the board to win a division at minus 125. I'll get to all of these NFL stories next podcast. The teams, I think, will be the most interesting to watch, and I will I will start talking about the best plays you can find on our app at Bet Rivers. I've been perusing it with interest lately. I have found a couple of places to spend my money and what's really cool about our site and I'm using the personal pronoun because I'm a member of the family now kids uh, is you can move the line on season victories and everybody I heard talking on the radio all summer says the over under on Bears wins is six and a half you can bet that if you want it bet rivers but you can also bet them at five and a half at a different odds you can bet them at four and a half if you want to, you can bet them real close to what the actual number is when those numbers were posted at the beginning of the year. By the way, six and a half on a total for Chicago. That's uh, that's my play at minus 177. I got to do that because the Bears uh, remain an embarrassment. And uh, man, it's not fun sticking the blade in year after year. I'd rather be on to optimistic things give you reasons to believe this organization is going to be worthwhile on Sunday afternoons. But NFL life, ladies and gentlemen, is not a fairy tale. Thanks for spending some time with me today. More NFL next time I get together with you, thanking our executive producers, Sam Michael and Adam Delavitt, who is the big shooter. Uh, my former executive producer on the Mac, your Cohen Harry show, who's calling all these big shots now at Bet Rivers. I'm Dan McNeil, back with you soon on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network.